We're going to be in the book of uh, Luke this morning, uh, Luke chapter number 23. And if you're just joining us, uh, we have been going through uh, encounters that the Lord has had with several different kinds of people uh, throughout all of Scripture. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at encountering Christ on the cross. And there's something interesting about this, that as we've been looking through the lives of these individuals and how they encountered the Lord and the spiritual uh, need that was in their life, um, it's a moving thing that goes throughout all of Scripture that as people encountered the Lord, Christ changed their life, but the Lord was had a bigger picture in mind. Yes, he, he wanted to change people's lives. He wanted to transform them. But the ultimate goal that Christ came for was the fact for him to come and to bleed and die for man's uh, sins. And you'll see that throughout scripture that as you look at these stories, Christ is moving closer and closer and closer to the cross. Uh, Christ already already knew what was awaiting him. He knew why he came. He knew why uh, he was sent to the earth. Um, It wasn't uh, something that caught him off guard. It wasn't something that he was like, oh, I I wasn't expecting this. He knew why he was going to the cross and he knew why uh, he uh, came to the earth here. And so God's ultimate purpose of sending his son was basically to redeem us from our sinful state. And basically to bring us back into a relationship with himself. Um, If you don't know Christ, you are outside of a relationship with God. You may say, yeah, well, I believe in God, but it's a whole different thing to believe in God than to have a personal relationship with him. To have a personal relationship with God means that you have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've turned from your sins and you've received Christ as your Savior. That's the only way to have a relationship with With God is what the scriptures teach us. And so the miracles that Christ performed were always done for us so that we might believe. John chapter 20 verse 31 teaches us, says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's the whole purpose. Christ did all these miracles. He did these encounters. We saw him as he encountered the woman at the well. We saw him as he encountered uh, uh, the man that came through the roof. We saw him as he encountered the woman that was in the crowd. We saw the fact of him encountering uh, with the disciples in the storm. All of these things were done so that we may believe and that believing in Christ that we might have life through his name. So we're going to look here at uh, Luke chapter number 23, verses 26 through 46, about encountering Christ on the cross. And let's begin here in verse number 26. It says, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem... Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never bore and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the Son of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You know, when we think of the gospel, this is it in action. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this gives us a perfect picture of what has happened. This lays it out, spells it out for us completely, wholly. It tells us exactly what Christ came to do. And you know, when we think about the crucifixion of Christ as he was there with his disciples in the upper room, they had the, uh, the Lord's Supper there. And then they leave, he goes out into the garden of Gethsemane, and there he's praying. And as he's praying, one of his own, one of his own disciples betrays him for 30 pieces of silver, brings a band of, of soldiers with sticks and swords and all these types of things. And they seize Jesus, they arrest Jesus. And they take him, they lead him out to uh, go to a mock court, mock trials. And there he's beaten and he's, he's battered, he's bruised. Uh, They lead him away over there to Pilate, and Pilate says, you know, I don't find any fault in him. But trying to please the people, he scourges Jesus and, and beats him, gives him back to the people, and they say, we don't want anything to do with this man, crucify him. They rather would have Barabbas, who was a a notorious robber and, and a thief. They'd rather have him than they would have Christ. And they take Jesus, they give him a cross, and along with him comes two other criminals to be crucified on that day. And there they lead them out of the city to be crucified. You see, God redeeming us was such an amazing act that... When we read about it in the gospel accounts, that if we're not careful, we can just kind of read it casually. We can say, yes, okay, Jesus died for me. I get that. I understand that. But the truth is that the gospel is our whole entire life if we know Christ as our Savior. The gospel should be what sums up your life. It should not just be like, okay, I received Christ, great, everything, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. No. It's the fact that the gospel should encompass, encompass all of your life. It should be that's what your life is about, is the gospel of Christ. 
Because this is where we stand. This is what we hold to. This is what gives us life and power to live the Christian life is the gospel. The Bible tells us that the gospel is foolish according to our thinking. God's word tells us that the preaching of the cross, the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified, is foolishness to those who believe. But what's important about that is the Bible tells us, but it is the power of God to those that are being saved. It's the power of God, the gospel is. You know, you think about the power of God. We hear about volcanoes that erupt, and you remember about Mount St. Helens that erupted, and that, that whole city was completely changed. The landscape was changed, and the power that that must have had. We think about lightning bolts as they strike, and how fast that they move through the sky. What power that is. But you know, none of those are ever described as God's power. But the gospel, the Bible says, is the dynamite power. It's the power of God. That is amazing. Because it is the power of God for us to live a new life that has been found in Jesus Christ. The gospel is not only powerful, but the gospel itself is where God's power is and does its greatest work. So when we look here at this encounter, hopefully we will see the power of God at work in the life of this individual. Hopefully we'll see the power of God at work on the cross as Christ accomplished what he was sent to do. I want to show you a few things here about this encounter. Number one, the cross exposes who we are. Notice what the Bible says here. It says two others were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. There was quite a crowd that had gathered that day for the crucifixion. You see all these people that are there. Crucifixion was considered probably the most horrible most humiliating way for someone to die. It was torturous. It was painful. Crucifixion was only reserved for the special cases. Rome had, had in a way, taken this, this, this horrible way to die, and they have crafted it down to a science. And Rome was, was, was in power at this time, and they would take people and they would crucify them, humiliating them to show them that they had no power against Rome. To show them that you think you're a big shot? Well, look at you now. Look at you. You're, you're humiliated on that cross. You have nothing now. Some of the most common people who were crucified were low-life criminals and enemies of the state. It could have been slaves who had run away from their masters and committed a crime uh, or a person trying to overthrow Roman rule. 
people who received crucifixion were receiving the ultimate punishment for their crime and possibly more important, they were being used as a spectacle to warn others of this is what will happen to you if you try to go against us. And you think of Christ and you think of him as he's being led away to be crucified. The Romans did not delay the punishment. They did it right away. So, for example, if in, like, for example, like, let's just say here in Indiana, you, uh, you get caught stealing a car, carjacking, okay? What happens? You go to jail. You sit in jail. There's due process. You go to court. You plead your case. You're judged. And if you get caught, then you go behind bars, right? Well, if you lived in, like, Jesus' time, let's just say you got caught for, like, chariot jacking or something like that, Okay? Horse theft, okay? What would they do to you? They would take you immediately and they would crucify you. They were swift in their punishment. They wanted to make a spectacle to say, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. They would take you, strip you naked, drag you to a public place, nail you to a cross beam, nail your feet. Set you in a public place so everyone passing by could hear you scream in agony, hear you being tortured. Crucifixion was a horrible way to die because it was death by asphyxiation. As your arms are outstretched, you cannot breathe properly. And as they're there on the cross, they would... They would fix their feet in such a way where they could push up on the nail, get a breath, and then hang back down. And this would go on for hours, if not even days. To hasten the process, the Romans would come and they would break the legs of the individual so that way they could not push up on on that nail. So that way they would basically die there in asphyxiation because they could not breathe. Sometimes they would leave the body on the cross so the birds and dogs could get at it. This was a horrible, horrible way to die. It was a slow, painful process torturing the individual. And so when Jesus and these others that were put to death on the cross, it exposed them for who they were. Look what the Bible says. It says, two others who were criminals. Why were they on that cross? Because they were criminals. They were there because they had broken Roman law. They were criminals. They knew that. And you know, when we encounter the cross, when we encounter the Lord on the cross, the cross exposes us for who we are. Sinners. It shows us our great need of Christ. It shows us that we need Jesus and we need him so badly in our life. The cross exposes us for who we really are. Notice these people here that are at this crucifixion. Tells us the two criminals. Then it says the soldiers who gambled for Christ's clothes. Can you imagine your clothes, you've been stripped naked and your clothes are laying there. And these soldiers are tossing the dice to get your clothes now. People who are bystanders, could be possibly family, possibly others who just wanted to watch, those that were scoffing, other soldiers who mocked. And in the midst of all of this, what does Jesus do? Look what he says. Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. Even as the cross is exposing people for who they are, Jesus prays for them and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The cross exposes us for who we are. The Romans used the cross to humiliate and to show how defenseless you were. But when we, when we encounter the cross, it shows us how sinful we are and how defenseless we are. It shows us our true need in Christ and that it is to be saved from our sins. The more that we look at the cross and see the horrible death that Jesus paid for us on that cross, the more that we comprehend and confess the depth of our sinfulness before a holy and righteous God. That's why I say the gospel should encompass all of your life. Because if you move away from the cross, all of a sudden our sin does not look as bad as it really is. When we move away from the cross, we begin to make excuses for our life and say, my life is not as bad as so-and-so's life. At least I'm kind of a better person than they are. But the closer that I get to the cross, the more the cross exposes my sin. And I say, oh God, look at me. I am a horrible person. I'm a miserable wretch that I am. And that's why we should always be closer and closer to the cross Because when we get closer to the cross, we can say with great joy, with great gladness, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from who I am, a sinner. And I have found that the closer that we get to the cross, it is easier for us to share with others our difficulties and our trials in life. Because we're all in the same boat. We're sinners. And we need the Lord's help in our life. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is sin and why is it so bad? It's because sin is missing the mark. God has set a standard and his standard is righteousness. And we fall short of that standard. We fall horribly short of that standard. It's almost as if there was a, 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 a lane of lava that was flowing right through here. And there was an old man and a young man. And the young man, he might have been a little bit more athletic. And you have the old man who's not as athletic. And the old man tries to jump across that lane of lava and he trips and he falls into the lava and dies. And we might think, well, that young man, he's got a little bit more agility. He's going to make it. But guess what? He still trips and falls and falls into that lava and dies. He still misses the mark. It doesn't matter if he's young or old or a little bit more experienced. It doesn't matter. You still miss the mark. We fall greatly short of God's standard of righteousness. And we have all sinned and fall short of that glory of God. And so it's when we encounter Christ on the cross, it shows us for who we really are. Sinners, without seeing the exceeding sinfulness of our sin... We do not see the glory of salvation that Christ offers us through his sacrifice that he made on the cross. So the encounter that we need is to be reminded of the message of the gospel. As a believer in Jesus, when I'm aware of my sinfulness, it serves to magnify my appreciation of God's forgiving grace in my life. I want to read to you a portion of scripture here. It's found in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter number 7. And verse 37 through 46 tells us about this lady that comes to Christ. And 
She begins to wash the Lord's feet with her tears and anoints his feet with a fine, precious perfume. Listen to what it says. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, speaking of Jesus, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with your hair. And you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And so when we draw closer to the cross, we see our great sin that it really is. And it's a time of worship for us because we fall in love with Jesus more and more and more. That's why do not move away from the cross. Do not cease to rehearse the cross in your mind. Rehearse the cross, the message of the gospel in your heart. Because by staying close to the cross, we learn how to love Christ more. We learn how to worship him more. Has the cross exposed you? Is the cross still exposing you? Or have you grown cold from the cross? Is it something that's over there in the distance? It's something that, yeah, I remember. I remember that, but I kind of got my own life to live now. I got my own things I got to do. Jesus, thank you for saving me, but I kind of got my own things I want to do in life now. We must stay close to the cross. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I urge you to turn from, Christ, turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is nudging you and he's saying, receive me, trust me, turn to me, turn to Christ. Let go of your sin and say, I want Jesus. I want Jesus as my Savior. So the cross exposes who we are. I want to show you a second thing about this. The cross saves us from our sins. Look what the Bible says here. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, when we see our sinfulness for what it is, and we see that the salvation that Christ offers us through his sacrifice on the cross, 
We see salvation and we say, I want salvation. I want Jesus. And it's the cross that saves us, the work that Christ accomplished on the cross that saves us from our sins. You see, with these two criminals, one is railing on the Lord and the other one is rebuking the other one. Were these criminals friends, do you think? Do you think they grew up as like neighborhood pals? Did you ever have a friend in your, in your, when you were growing up that always got, your, got you into trouble? Could maybe that had been that friend? I remember when I was growing up, um, there in Albuquerque, I had a friend named Adam. And uh, we hung out a lot after school. And he came over to my house one day. And I had a can of spray paint. My dad was spray painting something in the back of the side of the house or something. I can't remember what it was for. And there in New Mexico, we have big, tall weeds that grow. And then they die and they become those tumbleweeds, you know, you see on those old westerns, right? We have these big, tall weeds. And my friend Adam and me, we got together and we decided, hey, this is going to be a great idea. Let's paint the weeds blue. They're green. Let's paint them blue. So we're over there with spray paint. We're painting the weeds. One thing leads to another. And guess what? Then we decided, hey, it'd be a great idea. My friend Adam thought it was a good idea. To paint his name, Adam, on the side of my dad's house. Guess who got in trouble? Not Adam. Do you think these, these criminals, do you think they might have grown up as friends? Do you think maybe one of them was a little bit more dangerous and the other one just kind of tagged along? Or could it just by, been by chance that they were lumped in together for the crucifixion that morning? I don't know the whole answer to that, but we do know one thing is the Bible says that they were criminals. This is the type of lifestyle that they lived, that they were criminals. Rome basically took it upon themselves to crucify them. And as they're there being crucified, can you imagine the scene? Maybe they're, they're being taken, they're being led away, they're being forced down to the ground. These criminals could have been cursing and cussing and, and, and yelling at the, at the soldiers. How dare you? You know, I'm, I'm innocent. You know, who knows? But there they start driving the spikes into their, into their wrists and into their feet. They get them set up in the area there. The Bible tells us in another account that both criminals were, were yelling and screaming and that they were, they, were re, they were railing on the Lord saying, if you're really the Christ, save us. But here in this account, it tells us something has changed, something has happened. Because look what happens. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. He says, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The cross had exposed them for who they were. They have come to grips with what is going to happen. They are going to die. That is not going to change. One of them is railing and the other one is rebuking. And notice the things that this one criminal notices about himself when he encounters Christ on the cross. Number one, fear of God. You see, when we see our sin for what it is, it should bring a fear of God in our life. For the unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of the judgment of God at the last judgment. That if you die without Christ, 
Please listen. If you die without Christ, you will be condemned to death for all of eternity. You'll spend an eternity in the lake of fire. If you die without Christ, Jesus doesn't want that for your life. And there's a fear of a coming judgment. It's eternal separation from God. Luke chapter 12, verse number 5 teaches us, But I will warn you whom to fear, fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Hebrews 10.31 tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Proverbs chapter 1 verse number 7 declares the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Until we understand who God is, that he is holy, that he is righteous. Until we understand that, we will never develop a reverential fear for him. We cannot have true wisdom is what the Bible teaches us because true wisdom comes only from understanding who God is. Secondly, not only do you see a fear of God, but we see that he is under condemnation and receiving due reward for his deeds. You see, this encounter brought this man seeing that in his sinful state that he was under the condemnation of the law. What did the law say? If you do this, this is what you're going to get. Crucifixion. There was no like, well, I didn't know. Nobody told me. Did you ever do that in school? Remember the teacher says, uh, hey, your paper's due. And you start rummaging through your backpack like you have it and you really don't. Well, I didn't know. Who would ever thought that if I didn't do my homework that I would get a bad grade? This man knew that the deeds that he had done, that he was receiving due reward for them. The law had said that he would die because he was a lawbreaker. Well, God's word also tells us this, Romans 6.23, it says, For the payment of sin is death. That's what we receive. Payment, our wages of sin is death. Thirdly, he recognizing Christ as the only hope of salvation you see, this is what is so amazing about this Christ here, that as he's on the cross. Look, he says this, he says, this man, he says, pointing to Christ, this man, we, we're receiving what we, what we should. We, we're, we're being tortured, we're going to die, we're going to be hanging here, we're going to die. But this man, Christ, he has done nothing to receive this. Nothing. He's innocent. He's guilt. He's, he's, he should not be here. You see, this world does not think of Christianity as divine revelation, but as human opinion. Oh, that's what you believe. That's what you think. The world does not believe that God must reveal our deepest need and then provide the remedy in Jesus Christ. What does the world think? Well, you know what? If religion helps you, okay, that's great. I got Buddha, you got Jesus. Hey, everything's great. No. Christ reveals our greatest need, and that is the need of salvation. And when we receive the Lord, 
the Lord gives us that eternal life and he sets us free from our sins. And so you can see the two differences in this encounter. Look at this. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. It's the world's opinion. It's the world's remedy. But Christ comes and he offers himself for salvation. And so there is no other remedy outside of Jesus Christ to offer salvation. None. If you spend your whole life and you attend church and you die without Christ, you wasted your life. If you spend your whole life pursuing after religious things and you die without Christ, you've wasted your life. If you spend your whole life doing good, being a do-gooder, and you die without Christ, you waste your life. Christ is the only remedy for salvation. He's the only way to forgiveness of our sins. You see, what God did was send his son as a human, as our representative and substitute And there on the cross in the suffering of his son, God condemned sin. Whose sin? Jesus had no sin. Not his, but ours. You see, this is the gospel. This is Christianity. All of us are under condemnation because of our sin. Romans chapter 5 verse number 6 says, While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that mean? What does that mean? He died for the ungodly. It means that God poured out his wrath, his condemnation on his son Jesus. Jesus took the sin penalty for us on the cross. He condemned Sin, my sin, in the flesh, Christ's flesh. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your sin was placed on Christ? That Christ was condemned? Romans 5, 8 teaches us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And notice what this encounter does for this man. He turns to Christ. What does he say to him? Jesus, remember me. I think that day on the cross, that might have been the sweetest words that Christ possibly heard that day. As he's there on the cross, he's being judged for sin. And here is this criminal who's who's lived a life of uh, of a criminal who's, who's lived his whole life this way. And he turns to Christ And he says, Jesus, remember me. What does Jesus say to him? Well, I'll tell you what. uh, Why don't you come back next week? We'll really see if you're really honest and true about this. No. He says, today, he says, you will be with me in paradise. You see, if you are a believer in Jesus, God's word teaches us that in Christ, we are no longer under condemnation. Because Jesus took our sin upon himself, the Bible teaches us and tells us, therefore we are no longer under the sin of condemnation. Why do we still live like sinners then? Why do we still live in the passions of the flesh? We don't have to live that way. Why are we still slaves to sin? 
We shouldn't have to live that way anymore because Jesus took our condemnation. He took our sins. We willingly, we willingly go into sin. We willingly participate in sin. But we don't have to obey it because Christ has set us free. He's liberated us from sin. We don't have to live that way any longer because we are no longer under condemnation of sin. So the cross saves us from our sins. That's why I say, if we move away from the gospel, if we move away from the cross, we begin to forget. We begin to forget that we were forgiven of our sins. We begin to forget that we, we're no longer under condemnation of sin. Has this been a pattern in your life? I know it has in my past. In our prayer life, instead of talking about and repeating to the Lord and and spending the communion time with Him about our salvation, we spend more time in confession of everything that we've done wrong. Not to say that we don't do things wrong, because we do things wrong. But if your prayer life is just constantly, Lord, forgive me, 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 Lord, forgive me. You have moved away from the cross. And you're not living in the life that Jesus promises you. The cross saves us from our sins. Here's the third thing. The cross satisfies God's judgment. Look what he says here, Luke 23, verses 44 through 46. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. When we encounter Christ on the cross, it shows us that the cross was enough to satisfy God's judgment. Jesus was more likely crucified about 9 a.m. And from 9 a.m. till about midday, Christ was in agony and in pain. He was being tortured. He's being mocked. And then something interesting happens. Look what the Bible says. It says that darkness was over the whole land and the sun's light failed. God says, word says that it was about the sixth hour. So it was about midday all the way till about the ninth hour, which was probably about 3 p.m. Darkness over the whole land. Some people believe that this was a solar eclipse. I don't believe that it was necessarily a solar eclipse. In the book of Exodus, we read of when Moses stretched out his hands. And it says that darkness came into the land. And Egypt was in darkness for three whole days. A strange supernatural darkness settled down over the world, obscuring the sun so it would no longer be seen. I believe that this darkness was penetrating. I believe that it was thick, that it was frightening darkness. I don't, I don't believe it was like twilight. You know, it's starting to get a little dark. I don't believe that. I believe that it was darkness that came over, the, over that land. In this darkness, God was laying on Christ the sin of the whole world. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
You see, God says, my standard is righteousness, is holiness, but you fall way short of that. So what does Jesus do? He steps in and he says, I'm the substitute. I will take your sin, that you fall way short of God's standard. I will take your sin in exchange for my righteousness. What a deal. In other gospel accounts, we read that while there was darkness, Christ called out to God, say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Christ was on the cross, he took the judgment of God, and we see this by the Father forsaking the Son. Then the Bible says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was a thick, heavy curtain. You couldn't just go over there and just tear it like you do a sheet of paper. God tore that curtain in two in the temple. And he was saying, from now on, you come directly into the Holy of Holies through my son Jesus. And when you receive the Lord as your Savior, you have direct access to God. You can go into the very throne room of God. And there you can worship him and converse with him and find mercy and grace is what the Bible says in the time of need. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 12 through 14 tells us, He, speaking of Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, listen to this, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, as a believer in Jesus, we encounter Jesus as our high priest who makes it possible for us to go into the very throne room of God because he offered himself, he took our sin, he offered himself to God without any sin, and he became our righteousness. And notice this, lastly, he breathed his last He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Why is this so important? Why is it important for us to read in the scripture that the Bible says he breathed his last? Have you ever been in a room maybe or possibly in a hospital room or maybe at a home that of a loved one, friend, family, that they breathe their last breath? And they go out into eternity. It's quite the experience. You see life there. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. Jesus died. It's important for us to know that he died because he didn't just faint on the cross. He died. He had to die. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus had to die because what is the penalty for sin? Death. For the wages of sin, for the payment of sin is death. Jesus had to die. And see, in the death of Christ, this was not the end, but it was simply the beginning. 
After Jesus took up his cross and died, God raised him from the dead and exalted him. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, the fact that Jesus died and rose again gives positive proof that the God who allowed his son to die on a cross is the same God who raised Jesus to life. And that gives me great hope knowing that because I've placed my faith in Jesus, that at one day I too am going to be resurrected to life again because of what Jesus did in his death. And so the more that I familiarize myself with the death of Christ, the more experience, the more freedom that I have from sin and experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Listen to what Romans 6, 6 through 7 says. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This morning we were talking in Sunday school, we were talking about hardships and trials and difficulties that we go through in life. And Paul kind of gives his whole resume list of things that he went through, receiving uh, uh, beaten with rod three times, uh, shipwrecked. uh, He was uh, scourged, beaten with whips five times, 39 lashes. That's 195 scars that he had on his body. And all of this, Paul goes through mainly because to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we too, as believers in Christ, if we know Christ is our Savior, as we remember the cross, we remember what Christ has done, and we, we draw close to the cross... The closer that we are to the cross, that we remember that the life that we have has been resurrected in Christ. That we are new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so that new life that we have in Christ, we live that life, not in the power of ourselves, but in the power of the resurrected Christ. And so what we learn from all of this is because Christ was raised to life, we too live a life of resurrection every single day. So guess what? That means that when we encounter trials, difficulties, hardships in life, God is using those in our life so that we might be conformed to his image, that we might know Christ in a greater way, being made conformable even unto his death, is what the Bible teaches us. Listen to what Romans chapter 6, verse number 5 says. It says, For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So in your life... Are you encountering Christ daily? Are you moving closer to the cross? Have you even encountered Christ on the cross? Has there been a time in your life when you turned from your sin and you received Christ as your Savior? 
If not, that moment is for you today is what the Bible teaches. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Turn from your sin. Receive Christ is what the Bible says. Receive the Lord. He wants to save you from your sins, set you free, give you new life in Christ. Oh, not to mean that everything's going to be great. Not to mean that life is going to be nothing but beds of roses and everything's going to be wonderful in your life. Guess what? Your life is going to be more difficult. It's going to be harder. But there's a difference now. Because you have Christ who is with you. Christ who helps you. Christ who enables you to live the victorious Christian life through his death, through his resurrection. Let's pray together.